0: Heavenly Father, we're so grateful uh, that we can be here or online together worshiping you and praising you. And as we open up your word and uh, receive more, Lord Jesus, we do ask your spirit uh, to, to show us, to guide us. I pray that for every word I say now. And we just all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Morning. How's everyone doing? I bet you are because you're awake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty chilly one. You at home, I don't feel sorry for you whatsoever. You didn't get out of bed. Well, I don't know that for sure. But anyway, it is good to be with you as well. We're back in our parable series. We never left it, but we're back this week, this Sunday, in our parable series, and now we move forward with the parable of mustard seed in the leaven in Matthew 13, 31 through 35. I'm anxious to get into it, but let me tell you this story first. Uh, when I was about, I don't know, maybe four or five years old, maybe if that, uh, I was sitting around the dinner table with my family, and, and, and I noticed that my dad was eating something it was green. And, um, and I said, Dad, what, what are those? And he was eating them whole. And, and he said, well, son, they're, they're pickles. And he kind of had a smirk on his face. And I thought that was a little bit odd, because he wasn't really a trickster at all. And anyway, so um, he said, would you like one? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll try one. Me being pretty young, I uh, bit into a really hot jalapeno pepper. It was certainly not a pickle. And I don't think my mom was thrilled. Um, anyway, but uh, I'll never forget that deception. And to this day, <laughs> no. But, but seriously, I was crying pretty hard. Don't make fun of me. And uh, to this day, I do like really spicy foods, believe it or not. But that was not funny whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, that day was a tough day. Uh, but uh, needless to say, that might be something fairly lighthearted, fairly lighthearted. But when it comes to deception, <laughs> deceiving someone <laughs> about something that it is not, and when it comes to the word of God and this heavy subject of deception, it really is no laughing matter whatsoever. I'm over that, believe me, I'm over that. But when it comes to Utilizing the Word of God and teaching, oh, that we would never be deceived, for the Bible warns us of a day that would come and that I believe we are in, which there would be false teachers and false living, a day in which uh, there would be lots of confusion and lots of hardship. And uh, there is no doubt in my mind we are in that place right now. We are living in those days right now. We know for a fact that the Bible tells us that the church age would be the last days, that it would be the last age. And so from that standpoint, we are living in those days. But how does that inform us as a, ch- as a church? And, and, and what do we do about it? And how do we go about ministry Uh, That's what I want to talk about today in this parable. Uh, Jesus gives us a really timely warning. So I want you to go with me to Matthew 13. We're going to start at verse 31. Is that all right with you? Okay, verse 31, and we'll go to 35. I'll read that for you. And then we will go through a bit of teaching. It's going to feel like going to school uh, for a little bit. But then we're going to apply it to our lives very personally. So uh, let's start in verse 31. Reading in Jesus' name, it says, Jesus put another parable before them, saying, this is two of seven in the chapter, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that man took and sowed or planted in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. That's not literal there. It's like a figure of speech. It's super small, okay? But when it had grown, or when it has grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nests in its branches. Mustard tree in Israel, and in fact, this would be still true today, it grows a bit different than the way we would plant mustard plants on a farm in the upper Midwest. Just understand that, the way that they would plant Uh, is, is a bit different. It grows from a very, very tiny, small seed into kind of a plant, into a bush, into a tree. Now, maybe you don't care about that. But I just want to tell you that. But here's the detail that we do need to pay attention to. Remember this. The birds of the air come and make its nests in its branches. Verse 33, and he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in measures of flour, Three measures of flour, till it was all leavened, until it had all infiltrated, until it had all gone through, and until it had risen. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Unlike the other parables in chapter 13, we're not given an explanation of this story. Sometimes Jesus did that. Sometimes he would go off from the crowds and he would then meet with his disciples and he would say, This is what I meant by this. But here we're not given that. So it's super important that we look at the context to determine the meaning. From the parable of the soil, the very first parable that's taught in the chapter, we know that he was speaking out about his message being accepted, how we should respond to his word. From the parable of the weeds that Pastor Kevin preached on last week, how both believer and unbeliever will live together and inhabit the earth until Jesus' return. Yet, even now, God is establishing his kingdom. It's a picture of two clashing kingdoms here on earth before the final victory. Now in the parable of the mustard seed and leaven, we're talking about the growth or trajectory of the kingdom. You with me? So they all fit together, certainly. First, the most obvious picture, then we'll get to the less obvious picture, then I'll do some teaching on it and then we'll apply it. First, a tiny seed growing into a very large plant. How God's kingdom would grow from humble beginnings into a worldwide influence. On the other hand, the parable, and this is very important, also gives us a less obvious picture of what we're gonna call negative symbolism. Understand that throughout the Bible, birds are usually a picture of evil or Satan, and leaven, traditionally a symbol of sin. Unique to this parable, Jesus is using negative and positive symbolism together to expand our view of how the kingdom of God would grow on earth. It's in the how here. The tree would attract birds. Remember I said, pay attention to the detail. The kingdom's growth will attract those who take advantage of its influence and power. It's a picture of the leaven, too, just like the leaven that is placed in three jars and is hid for a period of time and over time would work itself through the dough. It's a picture of something permeating it or invading it. It's a negative picture here. It's likely, if you were listening to Jesus at this time, and he's teaching, and and you're out in the crowd, you would have likely known, at least if you knew your Torah, that Jesus was referencing the story of Abraham and Sarah when she prepared enough bread to feed 100 people. I don't know if you remember the story, but it's the story where two angelic visitors come to visit Abraham and Sarah, and she prepares a meal. And she prepares this extravagant amount of food, like enough to feed 100 people for just two visitors. It's a very peculiar story. You can look at it on your own time. But Jesus here is doing something as he will expand our understanding of the kingdom of God's growth, an unusual amount, an unusual-sized tree. We might call it the burden of kingdom growth. In a sinful world, I was in a conversation with someone a while back, and and they were telling me about how they couldn't go to church and buy into Christianity, that sort of thing, because of the corruption of the organized church. And I don't know if if you ever had those thoughts, if you're listening now and you're not sure about church, especially in-person church, but. It's something that has certainly been on your mind before. This seems to be a growing perception. I don't know about church. I'm fine with Jesus. I'm fine with God. I'm fine with religion. But I don't know about church because, because of hypocritical living, that sort of thing. Well, Jesus answers this realization here. He, he tells us that it will happen. He predicts that this is exactly what's going to happen to the church, and he also tells us why it's going to happen. He tells us that it's a human problem. The mustard tree attracts the birds. Leaven eventually makes its way throughout the dough. First, the parable is a forecast, if you will. A forecast of really cold weather coming. (laughs) Right? It's a forecast. Here we have an accurate prediction of the church's growth throughout history. How from apostles and through a Jewish church in Jerusalem, and through serious persecution, it would expand to eventually, within a few hundred years, become a state religion through the Roman Empire, and from the destruction of that empire, it would spread to the known world. So much could be said about how this unfolded, both positively and negatively, how the church influenced society for the greater good as it cared for those in the persecution, but also how governments, And corrupt leaders used it for their own gain. And that it took a reformation in Martin Luther's day to restore some of what had been lost, to bring this movement back to the scriptures. And then there's been the ebb and flow of it from there to this day, and it continues. This parable is about the blessing and the curses of kingdom growth in a corrupt world. So what do we do with it? How does this inform us? First, understand we must not be fooled by a modern-day reinterpretation of history that only points out negative history in religion, negative history in Christianity. I'm very concerned that some might look at something like this and get that impression that they might side in that way. But that's a very naive look at what Christianity has influenced over time. Yale professor Eurasai Pelikan writes, a secular writer, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of that history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of Jesus' name, how much would be left? In other words, the church has changed society for 20 centuries. And the impact you couldn't even begin to describe in the Western world. To that, Rodney W. Spark writes, had the followers of Jesus remained an obscure Jewish sect, most of you would not have learned to read, and the rest of you would be reading from hand-copied scrolls. Without a theology committed to reason and progress and moral equality, today the entire world would be about where non-European societies were in the 1800s. It would be a world with many astrologers, no scientists, lacking universities, banks, factories, a world where most infants do not live past the age of five and many women die in childbirth. He goes on to say the modern world arose only in Christian societies, not in Islam, not in Asia, not in secular societies. And this is not a popular thing to talk about. But it's true. This is our history. No, the growth of the church has changed the world, and Jesus accurately predicts this. So we start there. We have to start there. But there's a warning in it too, isn't there? A warning we need to hear, both as the church but also as believers in Christ. That religious influence in the hands of men and women who want to use it for their own personal gain, that's where the trouble starts. It's why Jesus gives us this caution, popularity and growth. Attracts imposters, just like the mustard tree, diluting the perception of the kingdom of God. Don't be fooled. Don't be surprised. It's a warning, first, about false growth. What do I mean by that? What started from humble beginnings now boasts of large organizations and material possessions and political influences. But the kingdom is not merely physical. And we cannot measure positive growth by earthly power or possessions. It's also a warning about false doctrine. How many times this last year, I've talked with people not only here, but neighbors and friends. Boy, are we living in the last days? Yeah, I think we're living in the last days. Are these the end times? Yep, I think these are the end times. Jesus told us thousands of years ago that this day would come that the day is upon us. Counterfeit teaching, hypocritical living. Jesus wants us to recognize and be prepared for counterfeits inside, that's the leaven here, and outside, that's the mustard tree. He wants us to be prepared and protected from the outside, too, but also the inside here as well. What is it and what is it not, I think, is an important question to ask ourselves as we go through this. Well, first and foremost, it's a warning against power and corruption, not against organizing and systematizing and maintaining. Do you understand what I'm saying in this? Do we reject the organized church? Asks a pastor. (laughs) In Jesus' day, Judaism was nationally organized. But Jesus spoke often of the problem with the heart of the religious leaders. Jesus was a religious leader. He was a rabbi. We learn in this parable, human structures will never be pure. They're human. That's why we center upon the revelation of God, the Bible. We organize biblically for the preservation of the word of God so that we would guard against false doctrine. This is incredible. Anything that is not Christ-centered is not biblical. Anything that is not biblical is not of God. Why? Because we cannot rely on human opinion or ability or strength, but rather our strength is found in Christ alone. We do not look to earthly powers and structures and material possessions to be our strength. No money and buildings and land are tools for the kingdom, necessary tools, especially when it's 17 below zero, right? But only tools. So what's his point? I'm going to spend the rest of our time thinking this through as it relates to the parable of the mustard tree and the leaven. Watch out that you would not be deceived. That's his point. It's very personal. There are two angles to this. First, counterfeit teaching, the second, hypocritical living. One we can, we, we can kind of look at from a, from a larger, you know, group perspective. The other is very, very personal. Let's start with false doctrine. Have you ever watched a bird make its nest? I'm serious. We have a, a, a bird's nest right outside our, our window. I should say a bird house. I'm getting to that age where I'm into birds. Don't make fun of me. No. Um, but, but have you ever watched a bird make its nest just one teeny little blade, teeny little stick at a time? I, I had to remove uh, one of the nests last year from this particular birdhouse. Have you ever had to do that? You can hardly, if you're able to get it apart, you can hardly pull it apart. Why? Because it's twisted together so so intricately woven together that it creates something that's, you know, quite solid, right? Jesus is, is giving us a picture here. Take one aspect of truth. This is what fault teachers do. And, and they weave it and they twist it to fit one's own ideals and own opinions and own perspectives. And it's all for personal gain to which later on the Apostle Paul would write to his young protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is coming, church, when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, that means it needs attention, okay? Like, it's symbolic, ears and hearing here, but itching ears, having ears that need attention, It says they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The key here is that there will be a day when people will no longer listen to sound teaching. They will not seek what is true. Instead, they will will say things like, tell me what I want to hear, not what I don't want to hear. And if I don't want to hear it, I'm going to block them. I'm going to ghost them. I'm not going to listen to them. I choose my beliefs. I choose my influence. This culture has permeated the Western world and our church. Our churches as a whole, I mean. This is the culture we live in. What are some examples of this? Not seeking the whole counsel of God's word. Yeah, I just... I know we've heard this before, but but if you're listening to this and, and, and you've been at a church where they're not preaching God's word, you should not be there. Let me be so bold to say you should not be there. Why? Because we cannot rely on human power. In fact, you don't want my opinion. You want God's opinion. You need God's word. What are some examples of this? Not seeking the whole counsel of God's word. I want a pastor who will support my lifestyle, my views. I want a pastor who's going to redefine marriage. I want a pastor who's not going to listen to that section of the Bible because that just seems old. These are the days we're living in. What are some other examples? I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to really have much commitment to it. Watered-down gospel is not a gospel at all. What what is another example of this? How about attractive conspiracy theories tied to the scriptures that will allow people to get more hits on YouTube than ever before? (laughs) We have to be careful. What Jesus is ultimately saying is Number one, beware of deception within the church. And what was Jesus meaning when he was talking about it? Well, he says in Matthew 16, 6, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which obviously relates to the second parable in our story today. What did he mean by this? What was the problem with the Pharisees? You might already know. They were all about self-effort, not God's grace. They were all about pious outward behavior, but on the inside, what? Very, very different. Their focus was rules, not relationship with God. And this served them well because their oppressive laws gave them high power and high position. And when Jesus came in and questioned that, that got them really worked up. Now, you might not see yourself as a Pharisee. Any, any Pharisees in here? But how might we be like this how might we be pharisaical how about this look good at church but at home do my own thing that's all of us hide the real you so that people won't see the real you don't open up don't be concerned about opening up that's pharisaical Other things that we see and could be applied here, part of the second point of what Jesus is saying here, we see it in Philippians 3, 2 and 18, beware of those who are enemies of the cross. Surely Jesus was referencing in this parable what would happen in the church to come, what would happen in the early church and on and on and on until the days in which we're living. To which Paul writes in Philippians 3:2, look out for the dogs. It's kind of an odd thing to say. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. They walk, he says later on in verse 18, as enemies of the cross of Christ. The dogs, as a reference to wild street animals that weren't domesticated, not like your cute little pooch at home, okay? <laughs> they come in and they steal food away, right? They sneak in and they steal and they grab and they snatch away, right? That's the picture here. A modern-day version of this would be something like, I don't need Jesus. All roads lead to heaven. You, You just need to be more spiritual. Be a good person. That's what Jesus was. That's what you should be. But that's deception. Because that is such a small little picture of what the gospel truly is, which, of course, makes it about me. If we want to summarize what's going on in the world today, and what has infiltrated the church. And this isn't just me pointing to everyone else, saying if we want to summarize it, it's about us. It's about our efforts, rather than the saving grace of Jesus Christ, who offers forgiveness in full. This is being an enemy of the cross. It's those who disregard our need to see Christ's death and resurrection. Their need for forgiveness. On the other side, it's also those who think that we need special revelation from God to be in this kingdom, that you need to be a part of the real club, or you're not in the know of Christians. Beware of both sides. It's a telling, telling warning. Beware, beware, beware. On and on, in God's word, he tells us to beware. Beware. He also says it in Romans 16, 7. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, he says. Avoid them. Watch out. Beware. You know, it's the Pharisees who loved to argue. Everything. Every time Jesus would say something, it was all about an argument, all about the knowledge that they knew and that no one else did. The question I think with Romans sixteen seven, if we can look at that again, is is it asking us to avoid people, or avoid controversy? Romans sixteen seven. Watch out for those who cause divisions, and create obstacles. Like they put something in our way. Is it talking about people or controversies? Well, you can't avoid people. We might think we can. But we're born relational. God's relational. And God doesn't call us to avoid people. (laughs) But you can avoid getting in the middle of drama. Right? You can avoid searching for it. You can't avoid creating it for the most part, not in every case, but we're putting this on our own hearts here. It seems to be a theme, does it not, in this last year? Churches fighting over things that should never separate believers in Christ. It's hard to even bring it up, but it's true. It's been so commonplace during the pandemic of fighting over this and that man, do we need humility when it comes to dealing with doctrinal matters in grace and love of Christ and yet sadly, most church disputes aren't really over doctrine. They're mostly over personal preference. And whether you're in the camp that says, I don't care about that or you're in the camp that is causing division and I'm so thankful to be serving a church that has handled this year so well, But man, we always have to be on guard. Because there's so much work to be done in the last days. And without unity, church, we won't get anything accomplished. Beware that you are not deceived. What it really means is check your heart. Check your motivations. And more practically, We're going to close with this before we go to the communion table, before we stand before the Lord and confess our sins and receive his grace, his body and blood, which was given for us and poured out for us so that we could be saved, so that that we could be forgiven of our sins and all of our inconsistencies and all, all of our sins. I want to close with a more practical way that we can guard against or beware. Number one, examine what you hear according to the word of God. Examine what you hear according to the word of God. I hear something, I go to the scriptures. Really simple. And yet it takes a great deal study to be able to understand certain things secondly rightly handle the word of truth this goes for all of us it's not just a pastor's thing you know the term hermeneutics if you don't that's all right hermeneutics understanding proper proper. excuse me biblical interpretation that's context It means immediate, cultural, literal context, okay? And what I mean by that is we have to understand what Jesus is saying as an example of what we're doing today, what Jesus is saying in the context in which he's saying it. What was going on then? How do we know that he was saying it? How do we know it means this? And there are so many tools out there that will help us as we study God's word in hermeneutics. Second part of this, though, in rightfully handling the word of truth is eschatology. Do you know what that is? Study of the last days, study of end times. Oh, that we would never be afraid to study the book of Revelation, the prophecies of the Old Testament and the New. Don't be afraid to study the scriptures that teach us about the prophecies and the end times and eternal destiny. And, and another part of this, believe me, I'm almost done, is application. You know, Satan doesn't care if you study the Bible. He just cares that you apply it. Application. Be doers of the word. Doers of the word, not only hearers. So first there's examining what you hear according to the word of God, rightfully handling the word of truth, and then the other thing that I think just lines up so personally about this is just being honest. Be honest. Be honest and open, church. The evil one is a deceiver. God is genuine. He is true. He is right. This is what God calls us to do. How are we to be aware in the days in which we are living? It's these things. There's so much more that could be said <laughs> that we don't have time for. And yet, I was, as we go from here, I think we have time to consider these things such an important reminder. As I close, would you bow your head with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and this warning so that we would be aware of what's going on so that we would know and so that we could respond. Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every one who is hearing your word today. You give us clarity as we walk away from this and live it out. Lord, if there's areas of our lives in which we've been deceived, oh, that we would return to the truths of your word. Lord, unify your church in these days. and protect us. For we know, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. What what an awesome promise that there is forgiveness and there is rest in you. We thank you, Jesus, that the cross proves to us that you are there to protect us from all of these things and that we can take hope. You've overcome the world We thank you, Lord, in your name.